A new report reveals that local business leaders are pretty upbeat about recovering from the economic effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll talk with Crane senior reporter Albie Galoon today about how steep the COVID-19 downturn is for the commercial real estate business. Hotels have suffered the most by far. The TMBS delinquency rate locally for hotels was 50% in June. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Tuesday, July 14th. Your health and well-being are top of mind right now, and that includes your financial security. Wintrust Mortgage can help. They provide refinance solutions so you can take advantage of low rates to reduce payments, and they have the sophisticated technology to let you go through the process conveniently from home. Uncertainty can add stress to an already tense time. Rely on Wintrust Mortgage. Visit wintrustmortgage.com slash refi. Wintrust Mortgage is a division of Barrington Bank and Trust Company, N.A., NMLS number 4 449042 equal housing lender. All right, we're joined now by Crane senior reporter Albie Galoon. So Albie, you and Danny Ecker since you, you know, you both cover different parts of the commercial real estate realm for Cranes, the two of you recently kind of took a look at the industry by sector to look at the full scope of the impact of the pandemic on commercial real estate. So what what did this reporting turn up as you started digging into this? Well, I mean, if you want to look at it generally, things are pretty rough in the commercial real estate market. Uh, you know, one data point that we looked at was the delinquency rate for commercial mortgage-backed securities loans, which are basically loans that are packaged into bonds. It's an important segment of the lending market. So for the Chicago area, the delinquency rate in June for CMBS loans jumped 14%, which is an all-time record even higher than what it was after the global um, financial crisis. So um, we are in kind of uncharted territory for real estate. But, you know, you also have to break it down by sector because, yes, commercial real estate is one market, but they're actually, um, it's really several different markets. And, you know, there's some that are doing worse than others. And there's actually one industrial, which is, which is doing pretty well right now. So, um, when you break it apart, the story is a little bit different. I thought it was really interesting how there is a bright spot at all, and I want to talk about that. But I want to start with retail because you and I have talked about retail many times and how that industry or that that sector, retail, was already under a lot of pressure even pre-COVID just from e-commerce and things like that. So exactly what happened when 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 COVID hit the U.S.? What, what happened in the retail industry? Yeah, so, so retail was in pretty rough shape even before COVID came along. And when the economy was good, we had a local vacancy rate that was kind of where it was right after the last recession. So, uh, you know, as everybody knows, you know, e-commerce has been uh, on the rise and that's not good for brick and mortar retailers. It's not good for the landlords that we space the retailers. So we've had a lot of store closings. We've had a lot of bankruptcies and, it's funny how I, I have conversations with people in the business and they all say the same thing. And that is that this crisis has really accelerated the trend. Um, so e-commerce uh, with everybody cooped up in their homes and not going out, to, you know, stores have been closed for, um, you know, for, they were closed for about two months. Right. So you couldn't go to the store. What'd you do? You bought your, uh, your toilet paper, your uh, whatever you needed, you bought it online. 
And so it really has accelerated the trend towards e-commerce. And we've had um, a really high number of retail bankruptcies just over the last few months. Um, you know, Brooks Brothers just filed for bankruptcy. Uh, J.C. Penney, the department store, is in bankruptcy. Neiman Marcus is in bankruptcy. So the list goes on and on. And I, I think that in, in some ways, it's just moving things forward. Then there's the apartment sector, which seems like it's kind of in a weird limbo of wait and see a little bit. Explain what's going on there. Yeah, apartments are kind of hard to get a handle on because at the beginning of this crisis, landlords were really concerned that their tenants wouldn't be able to pay their rent because, you know, it, it, we all know many people were, um, you know, lost their jobs right after this crisis hit. And, and so without any income coming in, landlords were worried that they weren't going to be able to pay their rent. Of course, we have unemployment insurance and, um, and, and the federal government added to unemployment insurance. So that provided a safety net for a lot of people who were jobless. And the rent collections, while down, have not been as much of a problem as many apartment landlords feared. But, you know, we are in a recession and this is not going to end anytime soon. And, you know, one landlord who I spoke to for the story said he was very worried about what would happen when a lot of uh, rent expired in the coming months. You know, in Chicago, we have um, we have a kind of a spring renters market. A lot of um, leases expire in the spring and early summer months. And so there's a lot of turnover. But um, when COVID came along, a lot of landlords extended leases because, you know, it's hard for people to, to just because of all the uncertainty, it's hard for people to go out and shop for a new apartment. So they gave them extensions for two to three months. Now, the question is, what's going to happen when those apartment leases uh, expire? And, you know, we have you know, there are a lot of young people who might be two, three years out of college who move back home with their parents when this hit. And so what's going to happen to them? Are they going to stay with their parents or are they going to sign a new lease? Uh, so there's there's a lot of uneasiness. And we've seen some numbers that, you know, suggest that the market is um, is in a state of decline. If you look at the downtown apartment market, rents have fallen about, Seven percent or so from a year ago, and occupancies are down. So, you know, we are in a pretty significant downturn already. Uh, the question is, how much worse is it going to get? As a lot of companies kind of take a look at, well, what did working from home do? Do we really need all this space? What's the future of our office? And we've already seen some subleases come up and things like that. What's in the tea leaves here for what's on the horizon? It's, it's an interesting situation because what you have in real estate is it's a cyclical business, right? You know, when the economy goes into recession, generally speaking, demand for real estate falls. So that means occupancy, occupancies fall, rents fall. But also what's going on here is some structural changes or what could be some structural changes. They're not, we don't really know for sure yet. But in the office market, that would take the form of, companies needing less space long-term because 
their employees now or many of their employees now are working from home and they're just as productive as they were um, before they were working from home when they were working in their, the office. And so if it turns out that this little experiment is successful, uh, companies will say, well, we don't need as much office space. So we're going to next time our when our when our lease comes up for renewal, we're not going to take as much space. So that's a, a real concern for landlords. Um, you know, it's still it's still kind of early to say whether that's going to happen. I mean, there's been a lot of talk in the market about that creating, you know, kind of a tectonic shift in the market. And, you know, it very well could, but um, we just haven't seen tons of evidence for that. But it's interesting because uh, Danny Ecker, my colleague, has, has done some reporting and, you know, he's talked to some or he's written stories about some companies that, you know, had signed leases for, you know, 40, 50,000 square feet of space in downtown Chicago. And now they're putting their space up for sublease. And, and so what does that tell you about the market? You know, is it, is that, um, is that a sign of things to come? We just really don't know. We're still pretty much in the early stages, but, you know, I don't think that you can say that what's happening right now over the long term is going to be good for the office market because I don't think it will be. So talk to me about hotels because there's uh, there's a lot going on there and it's complicated by the uh, the event and convention sector. Hotels have suffered the most by far. It, the TMBS delinquency rate locally for hotels was 50% in June, and that more than any other sector. And what's happened there is the convention business is pretty much dried up. All these large organizations that hold trade shows in McCormick Place have canceled them. And, you know, those cancellations now are kind of like flopping into 2021. And so that doesn't bode well for the market. And, and that's, a, that's a huge part of the, especially the downtown hotel market. It represents, represents about... Uh, I think 30% of downtown host hotel stays each year. So, and these are also meetings that happen at big convention hotels like the Sheraton on the Chicago River and the Hyatt Regency. Um, so, those hotels are really feeling it. And then, you know, the other two main drivers for hotels are business travel and leisure travel. And both those are obviously way down as well. So, there's not a, you know, of, of those three sectors, they're all in, in pretty rough shape. Now, when things open up again, I think, you know, the hotel market will come back. I don't, I don't see anything structurally going on that's going to, over the long term, make it harder for hotels to recover. Some people may disagree with me on that, but it's not like retail where, this e-commerce trend is just going to keep on eating into the retail business. So I, I think it will come back, but it's not going to, it's not going to happen immediately. And the, the other question though, is how much will business travel come back? Because people have gotten so used to meeting on zoom. So the question is whether, that will continue, whether people will be less likely to get on a plane in the future to go visit a client or make some other business trip. And then we have the industrial sector, which is kind of this bright spot. And it's 
Exactly the thing that hurt retail, e-commerce, seems to be benefiting the industrial sector now. Explain that. Industrial is kind of the flip side of the coin with retail being on the other side because e-commerce is right now the primary driver of the industrial market because they're retailers that need warehouse space to support the distribution of their products for e-commerce. There's a strong demand from those tenants. There's also strong demand from logistics firms. And then there's huge demand from Amazon. It's just mind-blowing how much space Amazon has been leasing in the Chicago area. In the most recent quarter, they committed to 11 million square feet of space, which is just crazy. And they, uh, in June, announced plans to open uh, two distribution centers in Madison and Markham that would employ 2,000 people. So Amazon obviously is growing uh, in a big way as brick-and-mortar retailers are retrenching. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's going to continue for a while. But, um, I mean, it's hard to believe that this, this pace of expansion is going to be able to continue. But if we didn't have the e-commerce factor in the industrial market, that market would be down as well. And a lot of this, particularly around Amazon, is about this this kind of last mile of delivery of, of basically more stuff can be closer to you. So when you order it, it comes, it arrives faster. That's kind of the, the, the gist of what I, what I gather from what Amazon's strategizing to do here. Yeah, that's part of it. It's definitely, you know, they are blanketing the entire area. I mean, they have they have warehouses uh, far far outside the city, and then they have warehouses closer in, and they have they have uh, distribution centers right in Chicago. They opened one up recently in Skokie. Uh, they they're opening one in Palatine. So it's true, these e-commerce companies and logistics firms do want to be closer to major population centers so they can deliver their products within a day or two. And, you know, Amazon has kind of trained consumers to expect that they should, if they order something online, they should get it in the next couple of days. And so part of the reason that the last mile is such a hot topic in industrial real estate these days. Lots of considerations here. What will you be watching most in the days and week ahead? I've been focused on retail and, you know, I'm going to be watching to see what chains are closing stores. Some of these large chains that are in bankruptcy, are they going to, like, is is JCPenney going to make it through bankruptcy or are they going to liquidate? Uh, And it'll really kind of depend on the direction of the economy. There have been some parties that have been you know, interested in maybe buying JCPenney, which would be a good thing for that chain. But, it, you know, I think in that sector, you're just going to see more store closings, which is going to lead to less demand for retail. I think that there's a little bit of optimism when it comes to apartments, actually. Uh, downtown, I mean, I've spoken to some people who are still going full speed ahead or trying to go full speed ahead with development. So, if we see any developers, you know, breaking ground in the next six to nine months, that would be pretty surprising for me. But 
it seems like the animal spirits may be um, stirring a little bit, but you know, we'll have to see on that. Al Bigaloon, thanks so much for joining us and talking this through today. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, Southwest Airlines, which is Midway Airport's dominant carrier, says their first ever layoffs are coming if flyer numbers don't triple. We'll dig deeper into that story and others right after this. Chicago Comes Back provides resilient leadership insights to help your business move forward from the pandemic. Delivered on Thursdays, this free e-newsletter features up-to-date information and guidance for Chicago's businesses. Sign up at chicagobusiness.com slash Chicago Comes Back. I'm Cranes reporter A.D. Quigg, and you're listening to Cranes Daily Gist with Amy Guth. The latest survey of business conditions by the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago shows local business leaders here are pretty upbeat about recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. The survey asks business leaders to rate the local economy on a point scale ranging from plus three to negative three. The findings are then pulled into an index with anything above zero considered above historical growth rates and anything below that considered slower than normal. So in the June survey, the comeback on the manufacturing side was particularly notable, continuing a trend that started in May. From a rating of negative 95 in April and negative 21 in May, the index popped to plus 31 in June. The overall regional index in June was plus 3, improved from negative 72 in April and negative 32 in May. The index had been flat to declining since early 2018 and was only briefly above zero one month in the latter part of that year. The Chicago Fed said in its report that respondents' outlooks for the U.S. economy in the next 12 months improved and remained optimistic on balance, with 44 percent expecting an increase in economic activity over the next quarter and 48 percent expecting activity to return to its pre-pandemic level by the end of 2021. The lightest metric in the report, however, is hiring. The current hiring index is negative 7, and future hiring is negative 44, which suggests that employers are not going to be adding very many new workers on average in the next year than they have historically. According to a spokesperson, the report surveys about 100 business leaders in a given month, mostly recruited by the Fed for meetings and other outreach efforts. And of course, you can find the report and check it out for yourself at chicagobusiness.com. The University of Chicago, Northwestern, the University of Illinois at Chicago, and the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign have landed a $15.5 million federal grant for a new collaborative research institute. The four schools got the funding from the National Science Foundation in order to open the Institute for Mathematical and Statistical Innovation next month. That according to the U of C, Northwestern, and the new regional institute's website. The center is expected to tackle what they describe as scientific and societal problems using applied mathematics and statistics across the school's areas of study, including climate change and healthcare. The schools have also been expected to team up with another research center, the $500 million Discovery Partners Institute in the South Loop, although it's still unclear exactly when that facility will be built. This may not come as a huge surprise, but the coronavirus slowed the pace of startup venture funding more than 20% in Chicago in the second quarter. And here's how it shook out. Let me throw some numbers at you. There were 54 deals in the Chicago area, which is down 23% from the previous quarter, which is in line with the national average, according to data from PitchBook and the National Venture Capital Association. But Chicago underperformed in total funding, which fell 22% to $364 million. For reference on that, over the past Past three years, Chicago has averaged 72 deals worth about 500 million per quarter. 
Nationally, the pace of deals fell 23% in the second quarter, but the total amount invested was just down 1%. And here's a little more to consider on that. The COVID pandemic didn't take hold in the U.S. until near the end of the first quarter, and VCs spent a lot of that second quarter triaging existing investments. In-person meetings were obviously curtailed by travel restrictions and lockdowns, but then venture firms slowly began to adapt to doing virtual deals. Chicago saw a steeper slowdown in deals than most other large cities. Notably, however, the Bay Area, which is the nation's busiest region for venture investing, reported a 27% decline in the number of deals. But the worst of it was in Los Angeles, where the deals dropped by 31%. Chicago recorded the second sharpest drop in overall funding, trailing only the Philly area, which was down 45%. L.A. dropped 13%, and San Francisco's total investment was flat. Southwest Airlines CEO says the company needs passenger numbers to triple by year's end if it's going to avoid their first ever layoffs, even as rising coronavirus infections prompt some states to restrict travel. Southwest workers have until Wednesday to apply for voluntary separation or extended time off to help cut spending on labor. Although some workers already took previous shorter term options, the carrier is still overstaffed for current operations, according to the CEO. And Southwest, for reference, carries more than 90% of passengers at Midway Airport. So U.S. airlines have offered a lot of different incentives for employees to leave as companies struggle to cut spending and resize operations to match the sharp drop in travel. While demand has seen a little bit of an uptick since it first collapsed in March, passenger numbers are still down 73% from a year ago. Airlines have warned that thousands of people could be laid off in October when restrictions expire that are conditions for them receiving federal financial aid. Southwest confirmed that it has reached an agreement with the U.S. Treasury on a possible loan of about $2.7 billion, and it's evaluating whether or not to accept the money. The airline, which has until September 30th to make a decision, has already received $3.2 billion in federal funding to support payroll. The CEO of Southwest said that the company will award as many voluntary separation and time off requests as it can before moving to possible pay and benefit cuts for remaining workers. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks to our guest, Albie Galoon. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.